0: Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast.
1: Strategy by design. And I have learned that throughout my business career as well, as that it's not just like one thing fits everyone or every team or every job or every role or every relationship or friendship. And so there, it's really kind of looking at it uniquely and what works in this moment. And guess what? If it doesn't work there, then we switch and we try a new strategy.
0: Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles. And on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice for you and those around you. Our mission is to help you unlock the power of intentionality so that you can become the best version of yourself. If you're new to the show, I offer advice and answer listener questions on Fridays. We have long form interviews the rest of the week with guests ranging from astronauts to authors, CEOs creators, innovators, scientists, military leaders, visionaries, and athletes. Now let's go out there and become passion struck. Hello everyone. And welcome back to episode 132 of passion struck and thank you to each and every one of you who come back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better and impact the world. And if you missed yesterday's interview, it was with retired astronaut, Nicole Stott, where we discussed her journey to both the International Space Station and to the depths of the ocean as an aquanaut. And additionally, her most recent polar expedition. My solo episode, if you missed last Friday, was on how do you learn fears and why it's so important to do so. And earlier in that week, we had on a behavioral therapist named Lori Singer, and I interviewed Liz Fosslien, the co-author of the new book, Big Feelings. Now let's talk about today's guest. Ann O'Neill is a former WNBA player with the Sacramento Monarchs and was also an academic and All-American at Iowa State. She broke the iowa state high school scoring record and was later inducted into the iowa girls basketball hall of fame today following a 12-year tenure in athletic and healthcare industries Ann took her expertise to palo alto networks where she is now a cyber transformational leader she is also the co-host of the get busy living podcast with barry gottlieb in today's discussion we go into how she first developed her passion for playing basketball and why it defined so much of her early life. We go into the complexities from both of our perspectives of being a Division One athlete and how she persevered through injury to become both an academic and All-American. The biggest lessons that she learned from playing both at the professional level and in Division One. her experience playing for Bill Fennelly, who is one of the winningest coaches in women's collegiate basketball. What what it was like to be with the Sacramento Monarchs when they won the WNBA title, how she transitioned into her current career, became a mindset coach, started her podcast, and how she has developed resiliency. And you can too. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Now, let that journey begin. <music> Welcome to the Passion Struck podcast. So excited to have you here today.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here and you and your community.
0: Having guests like you on the show is what makes it worthwhile. So I'm glad to see you again. I thought a good place to start was you and I have an interesting childhood in that you and I were both soccer players before we weren't soccer players. So I thought um, we could start there with you.
1: Growing up, I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa originally, and I was just a kid that was interested in everything. I was very, very curious, and I knew my first two loves were animals, any kind of animals, And soccer. And so I ended up playing soccer. It was guys league. And so I was in a traveling, I would call it AAU and basketball, but a traveling team with all boys and just loved playing the game where I was playing three or four times a week, even as a youngster. So it was so tremendous to be able to see the skill sets and play up more competitive level at such a young age.
0: It's funny. I have a friend, Ashley Mellencamp, and she's actually the second cousin of John Mellencamp. For a long time, was, she was like, You got to watch this movie, Cedar Rapids. I did watch <laughs> it, it was pretty funny. But I'm like, It's just funny. She loves Iowa. She grew up on uh, big farmland and went to Iowa University. But um, what was it like growing oh, yeah. up in Iowa?
1: um, it's, it's very family oriented. We kind of live in suburbia, but Cedar Rapids, if you watch that, that cool movie that came out years later, it still has a, like 150,000, um, population. So it was still a big city, um. Even back then, growing up, I was in one of the largest high schools in the state. So it's just a lot of uh, great people who really care about each other, really builds an awesome community. The one thing that I, the reason why I had to get out was because I was always just so cold and I couldn't handle the gray in the wintertime. So I ended up moving. I now live in Miami. I moved here about eight years ago and I love the sun. I love the Groundhog's Day of it being warm. But uh, that's why I ended up moving from soccer at such a young age, into basketball because it was so cold during the winter that I would, you know, we needed some indoor sports. So I started to move a little bit more from soccer and started playing a little bit more basketball where I could practice nonstop. So that's a, that's a little bit about Iowa and also the transition from one sport into, to the next.
0: Yeah. So when you started playing basketball, did you just pick it up, um, right away or was it something that you had to work at? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it was definitely entertainment, like I said in the wintertime. Um, and I and I played on a, a all girls team that was a traveling team um, just from around the city. This is probably back when I was, around the age of 10 or 11. And even then, I was one of the tallest um, players on the team. So right now, I'm 5'11". But back then, I was one of the tallest players. I was actually playing post. And this is kind of how I ended up getting a little bit more involved in basketball, is I was playing like the Shaquille O'Neal position, the down low position, if your listeners are familiar with basketball. and then I went to a camp at the University of Iowa, and I was in sixth grade, and I had been working on my post moves, like I said, down close under the rim, and they go, well, how tall is your dad? And my dad, I said, one." they go, how tall is your mom? And they go, 5'2", and I said, 5'2", and they're like, 5'2", they're like, you need to start working on your ball handling. So from that moment on in sixth grade, I started really focusing on my shot and dribbling nonstop. Because I absolutely loved the game, but I was, you know, wasn't going to grow too much um, taller than where I was at at that age. Um, but I ended up being, like I said, five ten, and I just really focused a lot of my energy and effort on ball handling and and shooting. And there was uh, one tournament I went to in Terre Haute, Indiana, and it was like the national eleven and under nationals. They have all those cool tournaments um, when you're a youngster. Um, internationally. And so I went to this, uh, went to this awesome tournament and everyone <laughs> was taller than our entire team. And so I realized I had a, to put in a lot more effort into my game. So between the, the comments about working on your dribbling and seeing other girls from throughout the nation who were incredible at basketball and so much taller, I was going to have to find a new set to, to elevate my game.
0: Yeah. And then I think you went on to become uh, one of the leading, if not the leading scorer in Iowa. Um, (laughs) high school basketball?
1: That's right. Yes, I I was. My freshman year at uh, Cedar Rapids Kennedy High School, I actually led the state in scoring. It was the first time in 80 years that a freshman had ever led the state in scoring, and that's throughout the entire year, like um, points per game average. Um, And I even remember my first high school game, I came out and anybody's familiar with basketball out there, they put um, a box and one on me and I hadn't even played one minute of high school basketball. So I kind of, I didn't get to sneak up on, on anyone, but we had a really great team and great teammates and great coaches. And um, I was just able to really kind of find my shot. And I perfected that through hours and hours and hours and hours (laughs) of dribbling and shooting um, on my own. and, And then during the AAU circuit.
0: Okay. Well, so then you kind of did the same thing um, I went through and you got to do a number of college visits. And we actually had a few of them in common. Uh, one of my favorites was Duke. The funny thing for me was I went on for the five visits and then I went to the one place that I never visited.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Where, where did you, uh, Where did you choose then?
0: I ended up going to the Naval Academy. But my dream ever since I was young was really to go to the University of Michigan. I think my parents, grandparents just thought there's no question he's going to Michigan, especially after I got a scholarship. And (gasps) I just um, went and something just didn't feel right with um, the coach
1: Mm -hmm. Um, and
0: and I just didn't feel that bond that I was hoping for. And so I ended up being recruited by the track pro- coach, Tim Cooksey. But our main cross-country coach, was, which was my better sport, Al Cantello, um, mm. did something I think you experienced at uh, Illinois before you went to Iowa State. And that is when you're a runner and you've reached the heights that you've reached, Um, When you have a coach who then tries to change the anatomy of how you're running and get you (laughs) to do things that are completely foreign, it really messed me up uh, psychologically, um, as well as the way I was performing. And so I think you experienced something similar.
1: Wow. I, I didn't even know we had that similarity, but it's not the first time I've heard that with people that have been recruited from high school and transitioned into the college world. And it just wasn't a match for maybe what they were told beforehand, even as a 17 and 18 year old making those decisions. That's very tough when you look at it, because you've committed most of your entire life or besides the time that you're putting into school is going into that sport. I mean, that's your bread and butter that you've put in so much time and heart and energy into. So I'm so sorry that you had that experience. And I know that there's others out there. And I think there's a really great opportunity to bridge that gap a lot more between high school sports and college sports and how that actually the partnership between those two really, really, really work. So we'll have to get into that, maybe a different, different podcast, but I can speak to my experience. Like you mentioned at the beginning of being recruited um, by different schools. I loved my experience and I was recruited all over the the nation. I had um, the great Pat Summit come and watch me play a high school game, which was so, so fun to have her in the stands. Gina Oriyama came to one of my volleyball practices and, and watched me. He's the Yukon coach. That's still um, uh, incredible and won very many championships there. But when it came down to my time, um, when I was being recruited, I, I went to uh, official visits at Purdue, Illinois, uh, Stanford, Duke, and Iowa State. So those are my five official visits. And you get five from the NCA to spend about 48 hours on campus with a team and with the coaches. And so That's what I did um, my junior year. And out of those five, I ended up choosing Illinois. We had the second best recruiting class in the nation and no seniors. So we had a really great upside that looked awesome um, for the University of Illinois women's basketball team at that time. Um, And it just didn't pan out similar to, to what you said between. the the schedule that we played in the team, the team dynamics didn't fit as well as they, as we were hoping. And so after that year, I transferred um, to Iowa state university and played my next couple of years there, which I absolutely loved. One of the things I loved about playing um, as a cyclone is that they have the third best um, attendance record in women's basketball. So about 10,000 fans on average come to each one of the home games. So just like you, if all of the training that you're doing and any athlete out there that puts in all the hours behind the scenes and in the mornings, it's so fun when you actually, it's time to perform and people are there cheering you on. So that's that's what I really loved the most about playing at Iowa State is the community there, being able to play in front of such great fans. So it ended up being a really, really good college experience for myself.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. And um, your 2004, 2005 season, if I have it, Correct. You became (laughs) both an academic and a basketball (laughs) All-American.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. I think I know that you train a lot of high performers um, in your field. And it's one of those things, if you're a high performer in one area, it's very hard to be a low performer in other things. And so you kind of set that mindset on being the best and challenging yourself as much as possible. So I knew I wouldn't be playing basketball forever. That just wasn't in the cards, but being able to have that academic All-American and, and really excel in the classroom was, was really great for me because it really showed that I could balance both my focus on athletics and also be growing and uh, learning as much as possible in academics. So yeah, it was, a, it was a really cool feat to do both.
0: Well, it is a big feat because... <laughs> What I experienced is there's a tremendous um, time commitment that you put to Division I sports. That's something, youngster was listening to this or their parents were listening to this. I mean, that is something that I would really um, impress upon them is when you go to these programs, in a way they, they, they kind of own you because they're paying <laughs> for your scholarship. And so mm-hmm. you completely need to be invested in it and put the time, which is going to be an enormous sacrifice, especially for us, where we were many times of the year doing two years, kind of like swim practice. And I don't know Mm -hmm. about you, but a lot of the time, because of the extensive workouts that they put you through, I mean, you're just exhausted. And so (laughs) trying to balance in the academics can be tough.
1: Uh, oh, definitely. I'm just some smiling, thinking about some of those like really early morning, uh, what they call fun runs when you're running 400s or 800s, just getting in shape to play basketball, lifting weights all the time. So it it is a full time um, commitment, a full time job. Just in the last couple of years, it's really been great to see the NCAA embracing. It's called NLI, the the name, likeness, and image. Um, for these athletes where many of them can get paid for wearing the jersey and having their name on uh, the university. And I know that's just starting to unfold, but it's really great to be able to see that there's so much commitment here by these athletes, whether it's their school, academics, even the community service time that you put in. Um, and then obviously performing at such a high level, it's it's really great to see being able to balance both um, with NCA and um, well, it'll be, it'll be fun to see how that unfolds for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, do you think it will be for the better or for the, for the detriment?
1: Right now it's, it's too, it's too early for me to really make a call on it. I, the best thing that I've been able to do is I've been able to see it as an athlete, what it looks like. I've been able to see it from a coach, what that looks like. And I also, uh, um, for a few years worked for um, as a TV color commentary. So I was able to watch it almost as like a third party um, for Fox Sports uh, and being able to call the game. So you can see the sport from every angle. And I think from any angle you look at something, if you look at a holistic hologram of something, it's going to have its positives and negatives. So the jury's still out right now, but I do see positives and negatives on, on both ends. So we'll see, what, we'll see what shows up here, even just coming this year
0: let's just take NCAA football. I'm wondering for like a Nick Saban and some of these coaches where now the player doesn't feel like they're getting enough playing time. They don't feel like they're getting enough exposure. It's just creating this enormous transfer of athletes who go from one place to another.
1: That transfer pool. Yes. It just keeps growing and growing. Anytime they start something new, you don't have your hands wrapped around every angle of it, but it's, it's really been interesting to see even from a football perspective, what that looks like to be able to transfer easily. And and like you said, yes, when I transferred from the University of Illinois, that was part of the deal is that you had to sit out for a year. So I was on the practice team at Iowa State while the team played for that entire year. So you're still training, going to every practice, going to every game, and, and you have to sit out during that time.
0: Yes. I did want to talk about, um, be- before we go into your NBA career. So you started experiencing injuries when you were in college, as I understand it. Going back to that story, I told you when I switched my uh, running gait, it started to cause me to get repeat stress fractures. And mm. they became so cyclical uh, that that's what ended up Costing me my running career when I wasn't able to train that way back then, the only alternative we had, they would put me in a pool and I would be in this contraption where I would have to run like an hour and a half in the pool, Uh which you can imagine how exciting (laughs) that is.
1: I, By yourself. I I did that. Yes, I had to do that too when I tore my ACL. I'm just again, I'm laughing. I'm like, yeah, I remember those those days and I'm like, how is this really even training me? So, oh man, the pool runs for sure.
0: Yeah, so what did you learn about resilience through those injuries and how especially when you have something like an ACL, having the mindset to come back from it?
1: Uh, that's uh it's such a great question. So, during that transfer year, like I mentioned from Illinois to Iowa state um, it was May of that year. So the season had ended and I was, we were playing in just um, a scrimmage and that's when I tore my ACL. So it was in May of that transfer year. So, and tearing your ACL in women's basketball is a very tough sentence. It's at least about six months before you even can start really kind of jogging and running on your own. But the actual time to get back even to that place is almost about a year. I mean, think about it. I remember when I first went in after my ACL and they're like, just flex your quad muscle. And and you're like, I'm just flexing my quad muscle. That's how I'm going to get back and play in the big 12 conference and play into the top leagues. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So you have to start from scratch. And what ended up happening, I ended up having a torn ACL you overcompensate a little bit for that. And throughout those next couple of years, I had, um, I tore my plantar fasciitis, which is the arch in your arch in your foot, which is no fun to, to do been, that.
0: Been there myself. I
1: actually did it. Yeah. I came down on a jump shot and ripped the, it's the, again, the arch of your foot. And so that means you have to be in a boot for three months. And so what I really realized during that time is how interconnected things really are in your body. If you overcompensate for one area, like the, a torn knee on one side, and put all your pressure on the other, you're, you're not doing your body any favors. And so it was really kind of learning about balance, interconnectedness, and taking care of your whole self, not just one part of the injury. It's really a full body experience, mental, physical, spiritual. It was all of those things to be able to come back and have some really uh, great years um, with the team where we went to the NCAA tournament and I performed at a high level. That was kind of um, correlated that if I played well, our team ended up playing well. I had to uh, take on some of that responsibility, but we had an incredible senior class that really wanted to get to that NCAA tournament and we did. Um, So, To set those goals and keep working as a team and staying healthy and performing at a high level, it was always about taking care of your your full self, like I said, mentally, physically, emotionally, just keep moving forward in in the best way possible.
0: One of the biggest stories I've ever learned about during pain actually is Shaq O'Neal, who you brought up earlier. (laughs) And my son's best friend's father... Yeah, was his doctor when he had his Achilles in- injury. Mm. And he told me they were monitoring it throughout the season. But at its height, it got the size of a grapefruit on the back oh of gosh. his <laughs> leg. And he played like that through 25, 30 games. And I know a lot of people were saying, why isn't he jumping? Why isn't he moving? I've had Achilles injuries, and they are some of the worst. And I oh. just give him so much credit for the mental toughness he had to go through that last season with that injury is, Mm -hmm. is unbelievable. And it ended up costing him the rest of his career. I mean, I know he was at the twilight at that point, but to be able to do that, you've never had an injury like that. It's hard to even fathom.
1: I was just going to say, that's so interesting that you brought that up about even our physical injuries and hearing it from such an elite athlete, like Shaquille O'Neal. And more so these days, there's a lot, and we wouldn't even know that we're just watching the basketball game, right. And watching him play and why isn't he jumping? And that's what we're thinking about. And now these days, I love that athletes and student athletes are talking so much more about mental health and emotional health that goes on behind the scenes of getting ready to play and perform. And that's not even just about some of the injuries that they're dealing with. I know Michael Phelps talked a lot about that. Some of the U S women's gymnastics uh, members talked about that. So it's really great that it's in the conversation to know that, you know, they're not just out here just playing tennis or playing a sport. It's a, it's, there's a lot of different moving parts that people are, are dealing with.
0: We will be right back to our episode with Ann O'Neill. Oprah Winfrey, she's living, breathing proof of the power of passion, running away from home at age 13, starting a media empire and now worth 2.6 billion dollars. All to say that when she makes a big move, you can learn a lot by watching. And after she made $60 million in one fell swoop, I did some research on how. And my eyes were open to a market out there that's worth an amazing $1.7 billion. That, for the first time, we can all be part of. No Oprah-level billions needed. How? There's a startup that's blowing the whole thing wide open called Masterworks. Powered by passion, like all good startups are, and eager to change the world. To learn more, go to masterworks.io and use promo code PASSION. That's masterworks.io, promo code PASSION. See important Regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io. cd That's masterworks.io, promo code PASSION. Passion. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting the show. All those codes and URLs can be difficult to remember, so we put them in one convenient place at passionstruck.com slash deals. Please consider supporting those who support this show and make it possible. Now, back to my interview with Ann O'Neill. You said you met Pat and Jean, who are two of the most famous uh, women's basketball coaches in the NCAA, but you played for a pretty stellar coach um, when you were at Iowa State. I think Bill Fennelly has been there 25 plus years. What was the biggest lesson that you learned from Coach Fennelly that you took with you from that point forward?
1: Oh, I I love that. Yes, and thank you for acknowledging him and and what he's been able to build at Iowa State uh, University. Like I said, it started from the ground up. But this community has grown and grown, um, like I said, to a loyal, loyal fan base where we have over ten thousand fans. I still, um, you know, have uh, DMs from people from (laughs) from our fan base that just still want to stay in touch and say, "You remember that game?" and and things of that nature. But yes, he's one of the most successful um, coaches, and I love that he always coach.
0: according to a recent survey saying Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit. To get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash passionstruck. Just go to indeed.com slash passionstruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash passionstruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to Passion Struck.
1: Just depending on the team that we were playing. So a lot of, a lot of coaches in NCAA just have their one style, and that style is going to work versus anybody. And he was so strategic on each player and each play that it really made a difference for each individual game. It was like strategy by design. It was basketball by design all the time. And so lots and lots of our practices were extremely strategic on the defense. We would play against certain players and the offense that we would run again, just depending on the personnel that was in the game. And you know, then we're also dealing with injuries and who's playing in the playing time. So I would think that that's probably one of the biggest um, things about coach Fenley that I learned is Strategy by design. And I have learned that throughout my, you know, my business career as well as that it's not just like one, um, one thing fits everyone or every team or every job or every role or, you know, every relationship or friendship. And so there it's really kind of looking at it uniquely and what works in this moment. And guess what, if it doesn't work there, then we switch and we try a new strategy. So He's tremendous, and they're having such a great year. And I'm hoping to hoping to get back and um, take my nieces to a game soon.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. Well, you guys were, I think, 23 and seven your senior year as well, so that's not too shabby either. Third, (laughs) third in the Big Twelve, if I have it right.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm.
0: You've worked for all these years. You've got your eyes set on going to the WNBA. What was it like as you're sitting there on draft day? Um, as an athlete waiting to see when your turn was going to come, if ever?
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh, I I love this question. And uh, it's going to be kind of a funny answer. So actually, no, I was nursing my um, stress fracture at this time. And there was actually a football sc- Scrimmage like red and gold uh, scrimmage happening then in the springtime, and back then the WNBA draft wasn't as popular as it is now, where everyone goes to New York City or wherever, and I either or even through Zoom. It's a very big deal on ESPN and ABC, but back then it wasn't. I actually got called and was told you just got drafted, thirtieth in the WNBA draft, and I was like, what? I didn't even know. Uh, so I had I actually had no idea. So it was actually such a surprise and um it was just it was just a wonderful um experience because at that time, I was really just focused on getting us to the NCAA tournament and playing as far as we could. And again, I was kind of um, working with a half a week. We will be right back to our episode with Ann O'Neill. The pain in my in my stress fracture, in my ankle. When the season ends, it's such a sad um, time because I just spent four years with some of the greatest people and greatest friends and having some of the best memories. So to be able to get that call was uh, was just such a great surprise and excitement exciting time to continue, continue the basketball journey and say, I got to that next level. My, like I said, my main goal was really for, (laughs) was for our team to work at the NCAA tournament. I even had, um, on my, on my sneakers throughout the entire season, I had NCAA or bust, um, written on, written on my sneakers. So that was the main focus. And that was just icing on the cake to be able to be drafted and, and be able to go on and play, um, a little bit for the Sacramento Monarchs.
0: Yeah. What well, must've been such a special feeling. And I, I did want to ask, I've, I've got a friend who um, he was a all-American first team, big 12 out of uh, Kansas state in football. And he got drafted uh, second round went and showed up for NFL training camp. And he said, here I am. I I'm thinking I'm big man on campus coming into the league. And he, he told me that when he got to the NFL, The amount of speed, agility, and just like power that these players had just blew him away. He said within like two weeks, he just came to this realization, I'm really not that good. (laughs) Did you find that same thing when you joined the WNBA?
1: Oh, oh, definitely. Each step that you take, whether that's different class sizes in high school or different divisions in um, university, each step is like a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, a little bit taller, and a little bit more um, skilled in the sport IQ, I would say, where they can read things faster. And so, yes, the WNBA was definitely like that. I was one of the shortest um, players on the team. And so you just had to adjust. I might have a 6'3", um, guard that's guarding me and how do you get free? How do you open up um, against that and yeah it was it was so fun to be able to be a part of it and see the top athletes play and um, I was injured during that first year um, but the awesome thing about Sacramento Monarchs is they actually won the uh, championship that year and so I was called back a second year and I was able to play in Madison Square Garden. Um, which was so fun. And then we went to the White House and got to meet the president because they had won the year before. So I was playing with some of the most elite athletes in some of the coolest arenas that I had watched Michael Jordan and Larry Bird play in. So I got to say, it was just an unexpected opportunity that i made the most of and had so much fun and just really... Love to also see the growth that it's, that it's gained over the years and, and how incredible all these women are out there in the WNBA. So it's super fun to watch and, and say it was a part of it for a short time.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to get to next. I think throughout life, we all have disappointments and times that we have to reinvent ourselves. But for you, you got to the level that you had always dreamed to get to. And then because of these pesky injuries, it kind of cost you your playing career. And what was that like and what did you have to do mentally to make that switch that you were going to take your life in a different direction?
1: It's a wonderful, like, great question. Uh, Once you go from high school and college and you've dedicated so much of your time and heart and energy into something, and then it's immediately done. I have many, many friends, that buzzer sounds at the end of a game or anything like that, it's done. What are you going to do next? And so I'm grateful that I was able to put um, focus into my academics. But at the same time, it's almost like I didn't look forward enough. I, I kind of say I was very... One dimensional where I was looking at basketball and athletics and my, you know, very nice cubby hole of, um, of university at the time. And then all of a sudden you're done and you're like, there's a whole world out here. Like, what am I doing? And so I really took that time to kind of go back and see what I was really interested in, what had sparked my interests. um, I got into TV color commentating, which was incredible to be around the game and see it from a new point of view and be able to share the stories of the athletes and coaches, which was very fun. And then I also coached division one, um, uh, basketball at Eastern Illinois university for a couple of years. So I stayed around the game. And then at that point, I was like, I really, really know a lot about basketball. I I immersed myself into basketball and the sport. And I took that time to say, what else am I interested in, and what else can I do? Because I can always come back to basketball and spin the ball, or dribble, or shoot a little bit if I need to. Know the pick and rolls, but what else? What else can I add to my skill set? And so that's really kind of where I started looking, and I wanted to challenge myself. And I got into the business world. Um, I started working in the dental and medical fields as a sales rep, which. Um, were a great opportunity for me to you know learn a lot about products, learn how to work in a team in a new way a totally new way that wasn't a sport, and then also still be striving towards a goal and helping out the community at the same time so it was it was a great um, way for me to start learning new skill sets so that's kind of where I started creating from that that place
0: forward I wanted to ask you before we move off of basketball just a couple more questions about sports and The first question would be, what is the importance of ferocity in sports? How do you play aggressive yet under control?
1: Ooh, I love that question. It goes back a little bit to when we talked about injuries and you're playing as a whole person. When I played um, basketball, it was almost as I could read the moves that were going to happen on the court before they would actually happen. You kind of trained yourself so much and played in so many games, played in so many situational practices that you kind of were able to read things ahead of time. Um, I would say IQ, basketball IQ, people talk about that, athletic IQ, really helped me stay in a controlled space. And so you were able to kind of read and know where to move your body ahead of time or where to pass the ball ahead of time, where your teammates were going to be able to where they were gonna be able to shine. That was really kind of the best thing where you could play hard because you almost could feel it coming ahead of time. I have um, a really, really great story that uh, kind of answers your question. We were in the big 12 tournament and we were playing the University of Colorado and we were down seven with like 52 seconds left to go, which is a pretty big amount um, to be down by. Somehow we called our way back and, you know, we had a fast break where each person on our Iowa state team touched the ball. There was like a block shot, a rebound, a pass and a pass to me. And I got the ball and I hadn't had the best of games. I was missing a couple of, you know, I missed a few shots. I just wasn't really on, but I was willing to take the last shot in case, you know, it meant the game or not, but I'm dribbling up the court and out of the corner of my eye, I my teammate streaking up the court on the three-point line and she gave me that look and I was like oh my gosh she's gonna make this shot like she's gonna drain it and we're gonna win the game right here so it was almost like again you've practiced it so many times where you could know what was gonna happen before things were actually happening and she gave me that look I passed her the ball she drained the three and we ended up winning the game with like 0.0 seconds left so it was an incredible uh moment where we all kind of focused on that last play where all five of us touched the ball and then you knew something was going to happen ahead of time it helped you stay present in the moment because you could kind of see things um kind of moving in front of you which is also something i really try to work on in my life and in my career so i just had to share that story because it was no it worked right there. I, I And I smile so much about that play because I was like, we practiced it a thousand times and I saw it and I was like, she's going to make that shot. So cool.
0: No, I love the story. Um, <laughs> I, I had two individuals on the podcast um, last year who both talked about this topic as well. One was a ret- retired Navy SEAL commander, uh, Mark Devine, and the other was NASCAR driver, Jesse Ouija. And mm. both of them said that You have to learn whether it's you're at BUDS or you're doing elite training for a SEAL team or whether you're a NASCAR driver, how do you push yourself to the edge without going over the edge? If you're too timid, that's going to cause you problems. And if you push yourself too far, it's going to cause you problems too. But when you can figure out where that magical like ether lies. And everyone on your team, or your pit crew, if you're a NASCAR driver, <laughs> everyone is in the same zone. So it's just a magical time when you saw that player streaking down, and they gave you that look. I mean, you you knew you were both in the zone, and, and that they were going to bury that shot.
1: <laughs> yes, I love that. There's like this unspoken language of, after so many repetitions, it it becomes so natural, and not even repetitions, but reading things. So like you're talking about Navy SEALs and especially like NASCAR driving too, you're reading things before they're actually happening because when you're in that present moment, you actually have to be a few moves ahead. And so I think that's one of those things that um, the athletics taught me is to be looking you know, from that spot forward and what's the, what's the action that I'm taking there. So it's a really great methodology for life, but I love even the, those sports that you brought up and those people, because that's incredible that they're out there Making the moves, but they're seeing it from a different angle, which is so, so interesting and, and phenomenal aspect about sports.
0: Observing athletes, some of the ones that um, I thought were going to be the best athletes didn't turn out to be. And oftentimes, those who I didn't expect to become an All American became an All American. <laughs> and I think it really comes down to consistency and putting in the the reps uh, day in and day out. What is the importance of having a quality routine in basketball and in life?
1: (laughs) Uh, Routine is everything. I love the word routine. What I've just kind of discovered for myself the last couple of years is I love the word cadence. And I feel like my body mentally, um, emotionally, spiritually, physically moves into a rhythm and a cadence. And I was even just Kind of rediscovering that sometimes you got to look back to like go forward um and how i would dribble and it would always be in a certain rhythm of dribbling patterns and what that how that looked for me as an athlete waking up and doing plyometrics in the morning going to class uh over lunch shooting free throws going to class again hanging out at home and then for four straight years Every night I was shooting baskets with my dad in the gym, whether it was Christmas, whether it was New Year's Eve, it was just part of like who I was. It wasn't something really I had to think about. And so I think that's part of it, too. Like routine is something that it starts to be a habit, but you also are in rhythm with yourself. So your body knows what you're doing before you actually even show up. And so that's what it looks like for me also in my career of the routine of, I have my celery juice in the morning, I go on my walk, I do a meditation and my body starts to be trained into those spaces. And when you're able to do that, it actually leaves more um, opportunity for creativity and to be passion struck. I I do believe that when you get more into your own rhythm and cadence of who you are and having that as a daily routine, you end up having those spaces for magic, like you said, to show up in your in your
0: world. Well, it's really being in, intentional in how you're planning out your day, um, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to have that routine like, like you do, which I'm sure your morning sets up the rest of your day.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, I do believe because when you have that schedule routine, whatever word you might want to use for that, I like I said, it actually opens up more time where you can have time to be creative or have time to say yes to hanging out with friends. And then you end up discovering new things that you want to add back into your routine. So that's what I've loved about my practice as an athlete. And I had to relearn that of like, not going to the gym and dribbling. What is it then for me that, that gets my day ready, gets me in the right mindset to talk to awesome people like you and your audience. <laughs>
0: Well, great. Well, speaking of audiences, you're starting to build your own. And in September, I think you launched your own podcast, Get Busy Living. And I was hoping you could tell the audience a little bit about it, what you're trying to do on the show. And I would encourage them to go check it out and hear what you guys are doing.
1: Well, Well, great. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's called, uh, get busy living. If you guys are familiar, it's, um, a line from the Shawshank Redemption movie where he said, get busy living or get busy dying. And so, um, that's the line that it's from. And what ended up happening was, um, my family kind of embrace this GBL attitude and and lifestyle. And so my parents had their 45th wedding anniversary and my dad um, and we were all getting together in Des Moines, Iowa, and my dad had made these GBL hats and these t-shirts and I came out and I had a video made of them, you know, for their 45 years of their wedding or marriage, I should say. And it, in the very beginning, had a GBL um, license plate of a car. And I'm like, how did this synchronize like this? We had never spoken about it before, but we both were under this GBL mindset. And so that's where it actually started about five, six years ago, Um, And so now it's just kind of a common family thing where we get together and say, are you GBL?" And it's really a community. And, you know, people kind of light up if we're wearing stickers and hats and and a fun thing, and they kind of want to be a part of it. So that kind of vibe and mindset is what the GBL podcast is all about. Um, You can use YOLO or Carpe Diem, as the kids say but it's just about being in the present moment and really being in that mindset that anything can happen and anything's possible and let's have a good time doing it. So the podcast is about good vibes, great people like yourself which is, you know, people with growth mindset who want to keep on building out a great future. And then the piece that I'm really excited about is everyone on the show brings in um, a nonprofit or a charity where we can give back and learn new ways of giving back. Um, COVID threw a little bit of a wrench in a lot of volunteering, a lot of volunteering and time, and so this is a way to learn about how people are being bigger than themselves out in the community. And so it's good vibes, growth mindset, and and giving back. We've had, um, like I said, there's only been five episodes, but we've had some great people. Um, Mac Anderson is the very first um, episode who started successories so we kind of circle back to athletics with those motivational poster company he was on there and shared about how he built out that that company and everybody that's been on has been super fun and they're about 25 to 30 minute um episodes and it's just been a great experience to be able to meet so many awesome people and share their story and and share their charities so that's what i'm up to
0: yeah that's great and i love the uh, philanthropic twist yes Um, yes yeah, that's one of the favorite things um, I've, I've had with this show is it's become a great way to highlight what I call our everyday heroes, because mm. I think we live in this society where, you know, these heroes that we, we tend to emulate are people with superpowers or seem bigger than life. And I think there are everyday heroes walking around us all the time who don't get the, the attention who are living their authentic selves and contributing immensely to society in different ways. And so those are the stories uh, I, I love to highlight on the show.
1: <laughs> I love that. That, that. And we have so much synergy and that's why we were able to, to connect on that because yours is about living with intentionality. And that's very similar of, you know, intention. We're right here in this moment. What can we create and and how can we be bigger than just, you know, ourselves on that kind of thing. And that's what you're creating with your entire brand. So I'm so happy to be a part of it.
0: Yes. Well, thank you. So you also, and I didn't want to leave the interview without uh, having a little bit of a chance to talk about this. You're also um, a cybersecurity senior uh, leader. I used to be a chief information security officer. So it's a, it's a topic I'm familiar with, although Mm. the years that I've been out of it now, it was important then. And it has just uh, reached a point of being so vital across not only every industry, but geopolitically, everything (laughs) else. So how do you just keep track of everything that is going on with cybersecurity? Because it just seems like every day I I look at something, there's there's new technology, new protocols, new doctrine that's coming out. So that must be pretty challenging.
1: (laughs) It definitely, it definitely is. And it's and it's something that every organization and people individually need to be watching out for with the with cybersecurity because there's so much digital transformation. I mean, even if you just look at since COVID when everybody started working from home and all the devices that they're using and logging into, um, it's a whole new world out there. And I, I absolutely love my position. I work for Palo Alto Networks, um, which is a is a top cybersecurity company, but John, do you care if I uh, tell a little bit about how I ended up in this role? Do you care if yeah. I share a little bit about that? Okay. Sure. So because I do think with living intentionally, your mission here, it's everything looks great on a resume, right? Or a website or when you talk to people, but there's, there's lots of adversity out there that, that overcome. And I had my own personal one and just wanted to share that there's highs and lows with everything you go through. And so when the pandemic hit, I was working for a consulting firm, um, in an international consulting firm. But if you can imagine, at that time, people weren't really willing to give out $250,000 for a transformation from a consulting firm. So people were really holding on to their money. And what ended up happening is they had to let go about three fourths of the, the people in our consulting firm. So I lost my job in September of 2020. Um, during that time. And so that was the first time it's ever happened to me. And you don't, you, you think that you're secure and you have had all these experiences. And I was there sitting, looking like, well, I know that there's going to be a really like a silver lining to this, to the situation, but I'm going to need to find it and create it for myself. And so many of the people that were let go in that consulting firm jumped right into to different positions, other consulting jobs. And I really wanted to take the time to set and look at where I was at, kind of that divergent focus, you know, from, from a high-level focus. Where do I want to be in, in 2023 or 2024? And I really loved it when I was an athlete, that reverse engineering, where I would set a goal in the future and work backwards from that. And so that's kind of what led me to cybersecurity is what was really happening in the world, you know, everything was, um, tech and everything needed to be secured. And so I really started focusing in on that career, but what I really did, um, was kind of looked at my animal instincts. It's one of those, um, psychology things that I really lean on hard as I try to get out of all this language and, you know, animals don't have language. So I always was like, okay, I'm gonna lay like a lion and just rest until I'm ready to to go. You know, they really listen to their instincts and intuition. And that's where I was leading me towards this industry, this position. And so I waited six months until I found the right one. And you know, after seven interviews with Palato Networks, it worked out. It was a match made, but I don't think if I would have taken that time to really listen to my instincts and where I wanted to be in the future, even, you know, two years down the road, um, I might've, you know, made some wrong turns. So I'm very, very happy to, that that is one of the main strategies is that setting yourself in the future and working backwards, um, from that, even during, you know, some rough times when I didn't know what was going to happen next.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for people to to hear. Well, if people wanted to get a hold of you, um, you know, I, I guess probably not at Palo Alto, unless they, they want to, <laughs> but what are some of the best ways socially to connect?
1: Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. So on LinkedIn and Instagram, my handle is Hey Ann O'Neill. So it's A-N-N-E-O-N-E-I-L. Hey Ann O'Neill. And my website is www.anoneil.co dot co and you can reach out to me in any of those places and, and love for you to be you know find the get busy living podcast after you listen to to passion struck um you know we'd love to highlight any kind of nonprofits and charities that uh you know maybe we should be taking a look at so that would be great
0: okay well i'm i always end with just a couple of fun questions um, <laughs>
1: okay i love it
0: <laughs> so if there was a wnba player that you could have on your podcast who would it be
1: Oh man, I I love Candace Parker. You know, they just won the the WNBA championship and she played for Pet Summit at the University of Tennessee. And I think there's so many lessons and, and learnings that she's had, whether it was in her collegiate career her time growing up in Chicago and then moving around from the LA sparks, um, into the Chicago sky and then winning that championship. So I'd love to be able to chat with her. And I know that it's more than just basketball for her. So it'd be really fun to, to check that out.
0: Yeah. She has had really an Epic career. Uh,
1: <laughs> and she can dunk. Of- so I got to talk about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Another question would be, you get invited to be the host of the late, late night show and you get to do, um, car karaoke who what star would you like to do it with you
1: oh my gosh this is such an amazing question and my answer is Lady Gaga uh she is my answer for almost anything um but even though she already sings but I just love her vibe and her personality she can be a chameleon on and off the stage, she's about giving back, she's about being authentic, and I think she would be a ton of fun in a car. So I would say Lady Gaga.
0: Okay. Um, And then is there a favorite book that you have that you would encourage the audience to read?
1: Uh, Yes, I have. Well, I have quite a few. Well, definitely The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho is one of my favorite because it's always about a long journey, the hero's journey, but coming back and and finding your heart. Uh, He's got a great, great quote in there. So I love The Alchemist. I love Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield. And that one is kind of a little bit smaller, uh, smaller book to to digest. He also wrote The Art of War or The War of Art, I should say. Um, And so I love Stephen Pressfield's book. Um, I love just recently, the infinite game by Simon Sinek. That has been one that's been awesome because there's usually so many timelines and deadlines on our things. And when you're in the infinite game that he talks about in that book, it's an infinite life game that we're up to and we're playing. And so that's, you know, kind of goes into being passionate, being intentional and keep showing up every day. So I love that one too.
0: Okay. And since we spent (laughs) a lot of time talking about college today, what is your most ridiculous college memory?
1: Oh, my, (laughs) oh, gosh, wow, I have, um, I have a lot. The first one that popped into my mind, though, is I was at the University of Illinois and we went to the Maui Classic and the men were playing and the women were playing down there in the Maui Classic. If you're familiar, it's usually over Thanksgiving. Um, and we had a couple of days off. So a couple of the girls and I got on jet skis and we were like, hey, we could take this to the next island because we could see the island, right? <laughs> but in Hawaii, if you guys have ever been to Hawaii or even you know their, their waves, their waves are like 20 or 30 or 40 feet tall. So we were flying over on the jet skis over these huge waves, literally just, you know, set a goal to go to this island and we lost gas. And so then we're on all of these, all of these waves. And fortunately, the jet ski people were taking uh, tabs on where we were at and came and got us. But that was a little scary for for a while. But just the intention of us thinking that we could get to the next island and, you know, also being in Hawaii where the waves are just absolutely insane so it was terrifying, but also thrilling. And I'm very happy that we got
0: back to shore. <laughs> yeah, definitely not the Caribbean.
1: <laughs> um, and back to the tournament, yes.
0: <laughs> well, Anne, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and sharing so much of your personal wisdom.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love what you're up to here and creating. I can't wait to see the growth and, and meet some of your awesome community as well. So thank you so much for having me and being able to share this story.
0: What a great interview that was with Ann O'Neill. And I'd like to bring up a couple of the past interviews that we spoke about. One is with my friend, the one and only Navy SEAL commander, Mark Devine, episode 65. And also my interview with NASCAR driver, Jesse Ouija, episode 61. And over the upcoming weeks, we have some truly amazing guests coming on the show, including Gretchen Rubin, Trisha Manning, Jordan Harbinger, Admiral James Stavridis, and Kathy Heller. Just to name a few. And if you are new to the show and you would like to introduce it to friends or family members, we now have episode starter packs. These are collections of your favorite episodes organized by topic, which gives any new listener a great way to get acquainted to everything that we do here on the show. Check them out both on Spotify and on our website at passionstruck.com slash starterpacks. Now, I hope you apply the lessons from today's interview and go out there yourself and become passion struck. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the passion struck podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our PassionStruck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us.